0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So pastor kind of set me up on Sunday. I was all excited. At the very end, he started talking about Abraham. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm going to talk about. It sounds really strange. Why are we talking about some Old Testament guy? And I almost put some pictures up because I know what you're picturing right now. I know you're picturing the robes, the long white beard, the old guy, maybe with a staff. But picture someone that looks like someone you know today. Just, just try to make it more relatable. You know. So first turn to Acts 13.2. So the reason I don't want to talk about Abraham is I want to talk about separation, and I actually talked to the youth about this. Um, it was kind of right after camp, and the the Lord gave me this message immediately after camp. And I thought, Wow, like what a buzzkill! These kids are so you know you're usually riding in on a high after camp, and I and I didn't say anything to Pastor Greg about it until like a few weeks later. And I was supposed to do it immediately after camp, and. I wish I had just listened and done it because God knows exactly what people need. He knows when their people are the most receptive. So anyway, I did do it, but it was a little bit late. But I thought about it later and I thought, I, I want to do this again. I want to talk about it with the adults because it ministered to me so much that I wanted to share it with you guys. So in Acts thirteen two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God has called us to be separated. But we have to do the separation ourselves. We can't just go with the flow of the world. You know, the world we live in today, we have anything and everything we desire pretty much at our fingertips. Anything, any interest, anything that piques our interest, it wasn't like that 30, 40 years ago. You had to go to the library and get, you had to look through those big, huge, chunky books if you were interested in learning about something. today, anything, whether it's good stuff, whether it's bad stuff, it's just, and, and it's not only at our fingertips and so available because of technology, it's, it's not just available, but it's, I don't know how to say it, but it's, it's just so accessible, anything, that even if your, your interests are good-hearted things, you can end up just filling up all your time on stuff that really isn't profitable, you know what I'm saying? And God's wanting us to keep a right perspective and do what we need to do to stay and keep ourselves separate so we're not just going with the flow of the world, amen? And I believe Abraham was someone that really did that. So go to Acts 7:2 before we get into Genesis with Abraham. Now, in Acts 7, Stephen was actually talking about Abraham. He recognized what he did. Acts 7, 2. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Even Stephen recognized what he did and the importance of it. Turn to Genesis 12, 1. Now, why was Abraham such a big deal? Why was it a big deal? You know, he, as far as I know, Abraham was never a priest. He wasn't, he, he was, he was kind of like a guy like you and I. And God called him to do huge things. Huge. He's been named the father of many nations. He began a covenant with God that would show us what we have. And covenant, covenant is not, I don't know if you really understand what covenant is, but it's, it's everything that I have. I say, you can have it, Lord. And the Lord says, everything I have is yours. It's it's a wonderful, it's a two-way situation. That's why when it came down to Abraham sacrificing his son, he, he was saying, everything I have is yours, even my son. Yes, Father, you can have him. He knew, he knew God was going to bless him. He knew it was going to be okay. So where did I tell you to go? Genesis 12, 1. Okay. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. That right there must have blown his mind. He's gonna make me a nation? Like, how in the world is this gonna happen? He was old when this was happening. He was at least 75 years old, if maybe even older. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was, oh, there it tells you, 75 years old, when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar... It's the, the second time. To the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. What's the very next sentence in your Bible? Now there was a famine in the land. So God calls him out and says, I'm going to do all this amazing stuff for you. And he's like, okay. And he goes, what's the first thing that happens? There's a famine. In the land where he just went to. How many people would have turned around and ran? Been like, I didn't hear from God. This is a mistake. Forget it. This place is obviously not what he said it was. Most people probably would have just thought, I didn't hear from God. But when you hear from God, you know it. You know it. Sometimes you just have to really hold on to it. Because your mind will want to jump in there and tell you to do other things that are easier. You know, you got to do what God tells you to do, and he, he stuck with it. So I have, I found an excerpt about Abraham because I wanted to know for myself, I knew he was important, but I wanted to know what, what was he leaving behind? What, what was the deal? And so it's a little bit of reading, but I'm going to read it to you. But I, um, first of all, I believe Abraham had to be separated. I believe there were things that he had to be separated from, and God knew that. And I know one of the things he said was his family. God called him to get away from his family where he was at, and he did it. He didn't leave his wife, but he took his wife, he took Lot, and they went. But, um, you know, God had big things for him and big plans, and he did it. So Abraham was a wealthy man in Ur, As he appears to have been, he must have possessed many treasures of the finest craftsmanship and the most exquisite materials. He would have lived in a mansion in Ur that would probably still look impressive today. As an upper-class free man, he would have attained a high level of education and must have been literate and fluent in Sumerian, Akkadian, various other Semitic languages and probably Egyptian as a trade language. He would have, where he was, was um, a city on the Persian Gulf. So it was a major trade port. So they don't know for sure, but they're pretty sure, you know, he would have known all these languages. To be so successful, you would have had to be back, back then. So none of this is like in stone, this is not... Out of the Bible, this is, but this is a study of the peoples of that time and likely who he was based on the wealth that he had. So keep that in mind. He would have enjoyed a refined urban life in a highly advanced center of civilization. How many of you guys pictured, always pictured Abraham living in some tent in some desert somewhere, you know, herding sheep all the time? I never even thought about it. I never even thought... What what did this man leave behind? To leave all of this in order to journey to Canaan would have meant a huge sacrifice of material comfort for Abraham. Abraham lived in a tent in Canaan, not in a house, and he lived in rugged fields, deserts, and mountains, away from the conveniences of civilization. Whereas Ur had a perpetually dry and sunny climate with a stable water supply from rivers, Canaan had a far messier and more unpredictable climate with rain, snow, frost, dew, and so forth. The only two centers of advanced civilization near Canaan were Egypt and Sodom, both of which were spiritually problematic. That's such a nice way to put it. (laughs) I'd say so. And outside of the area where God wanted Abraham to live. Abraham gave up a lot of wealth and comfort when he left Ur and went to Canaan. Abraham obeyed God's call to settle his family in the land of Canaan. It shows that when he was forced to make a choice between God and money, he would choose God. The depth of Abraham's commitment to God is shown again in Genesis 22, when Abraham chose to obey God even at the cost of his own son Isaac's life. Abraham was truly a man with a great heart for God. So, I hope you kind of picture him different now. That some of the sacrifices and things that were part of why he was a big deal. I mean, he, he was fine leaving everything. And I personally think that there was probably a lot of distractions living in such a civilized place. And he, and he was older. He was probably in that place of life where he was pretty satisfied with his life. But he didn't let that stop him either. God talked to him and said, let's do this. And he said, "Okay." He didn't let being older nothing stop him. So some of the things I noticed when I'm in Genesis, when I was reading about it, was um, Abe Abraham kept perspective every step of the way, every part of his journey. Every time he moved, he set up an altar. He kept God at the forefront. Um, He probably had to. I mean, this couldn't have been easy. His wife may have been like, you know, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't say what she was saying or, you know, she may have had a a rough look on her face like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what we're doing. We don't know. But, I, I mean, I guarantee it wasn't an easy move. But every part of the way, several times it says he made an altar. He kept perspective. He honored God through this whole process. And I believe doing that, he stayed in God's presence. And he was becoming more and more, I believe, molded for God to use and do all these big things. Amen? He wants to do that same thing in us. So Abraham gave up his own son, was part of one of the big things that he did. And he was grateful for everything that he had. And he knows God's in charge. It's something that I noticed in reading that. You know, it's important if he would give up, he gave up everything. I mean, if God tells you to give up a relationship with somebody, give it up. I mean, we're not making a sacrifice like he did. My goodness. You know, if God God doesn't ever, ever, ever tell you to give up something or someone that he's not going to bring such goodness and blessing, he's going to replace there's not going to be this empty hole, this empty void in your life. I promise you. God's telling you and you know something you need to give up, relationship you need to get away from, whatever it is, God's going to fill that. It's, you're going to have something so much better. You're going to be like, oh, I wish I had done this sooner. So Abraham began his life of trusting God and on an everyday basis when he left. And I believe that's a part of his faith journey and where it began. He had to trust God every step of the way. I mean, he, didn't ha- he couldn't just go to all the wells that were there. You know, they had a water supply. He had a mansion. He had safety and security. You know, he didn't have that here. He had to trust God every step of the way. And he was blessed because of it. Something else I noticed when I was reading this, that's really important, is can you be affected by your surroundings and, or people? And I believe that you absolutely can. Some people, everybody has different personalities. Some people are the kind of person that's gonna walk in a room and they're gonna influence everybody in that room, whether they're a godly person or an ungodly person. It's just their personality. They're a leader type socially or whatever and some people aren't like that they're more of a follower or they're more like a chameleon they're going to fit in with whatever group they're with i always feel like i'm the chameleon i feel like i can kind of get in with whatever's going on and go go with the flow and sometimes that's not good so i have i personally for myself i have to be careful if somebody's a strong influence maybe at work or something and they're not a good influence I have to get away from that, because I, and, and and you know, you know your personality, and you know what you can handle, and you know what, whether it's, you know, certain people that you should be around, certain people that you probably shouldn't, they're not the best for you, because you just tend to just go with it, so I don't know exactly what Abraham's personality was, but I just know that God was getting away from some stuff, so Can you be affected by your surroundings? Well, Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his two daughters lived in Sodom. Turn to Genesis 19.30. And i got to turn there, too. And let's see what, what happened. Oh, it's a really small print, too. I don't like that. I'm going to pull it up on my computer. I like my big print. I don't have to get my reading glasses out. It's Genesis 1930. Are you guys there? You're way ahead of me. I thought I had printed this out, but I didn't on my notes. But sometimes I do that on purpose because when I read it, I find so much more when I'm reading it straight out of the, out of the verse instead of from my notes. Okay. All right, the descendants of Lot. Then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now, this is right after he and his daughters were living in Sodom for a while. They chose to live there. They chose to stay there. Um, I don't know how much he knew how wicked it was before he went, but I guarantee he knew once he got there and he stayed and he had his daughters there with him. So most of you know the story. If you don't, go back and, and read it. It's it's really interesting, the conversations that Abraham has with God. Because God's saying, I'm going to destroy the city because of its wickedness. And Abraham says, well, wait. You know, I mean, Abraham just goes up boldly. I mean, this is God. He's made a decision. Um, and he says, well, what if there's, you know, 50 people? What? Would you still destroy it? What if there's 50 good people in there? Would you destroy it still? Would you destroy them in it among everyone else? And God's like, okay, you know, if there is. And there wasn't. And he's like, oh, well, if there's like 25, I, I forget the numbers. If there's 10 people, and, I mean, there was hardly any. <laughs> and, and God, so He, um, he got God to allow him to get his nephew out, and their daughters, and so they get out, and his, his, Lot's wife looks back, and she ends up, she didn't make it, she was, she looked back, I believe, because she missed, she, she was gonna miss her lifestyle there, whatever it was, it may have just been a comfy lifestyle, I don't know, maybe she didn't want to live, you know, in the desert, like Abraham had, we don't really know exactly. But we know she didn't make it. She turned to salt. So it's right, and then God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is immediately after. So Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains with his two daughters. For he was afraid to dwell in Zor. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth." Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight. Go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he didn't know when she laid down, or he was just out of it, I guess. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. So, ew, ew, and ew, triple oo. <laughs> the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites today. The Moabites, by the way, worship a god named Chemosh. Has anybody heard of the god Chamash? No, because he's not real. <laughs> and he's stupid. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he's the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And the Ammonites worshiped a god called Milcom. and Nobody's heard of him either. So were they, how could they be such a godly people and then just, they leave Sodom and Gomorrah. They're away from all the yuck. And then do what they did. They had to have been influenced while they were there. They had, their, their conscience had to have been seared as to what was godly, what was normal. <laughs> they weren't even thinking straight. They were so affected by living in that place they should have never been there in the first place. So go to 2 Corinthians 6.11. It's important who we hang out with. It's important who our kids hang out with. Amen. There's just certain, you know, even good things you can't, you don't want to have too much of it. That's, like I was saying earlier, with technology, anything and everything is just so easily accessible that we can fill up so much of our time with stuff that is just... It's not not—it's not growing us spiritually. It can be good, but it may not be what God's wanting us to do. It may not be something that, like I said, that's growing us spiritually. So there's things that all of us can get rid of. Now, people talk about, well, I'm going to fast this or I'm going to fast something for a while, and that's, that's great. It's great to get you started, but there's some things that, you know, with God, God's not a diet. Like, don't do it because for a little while. Some things, it's a lifestyle. God is your lifestyle change. Some things are just... Just don't even go there. If you know you're the kind of personality that just, you find something good and you just like candy corn, me, I can't stop eating candy corn. (laughs) I'm going to have to give it up because I just love it. And then every season it comes out and I'm like eating it like crazy and I just need to stay away from it completely and not even get started because I'll eat the whole bag. So you know what kind of personality you are, whether it's whatever it is. You know, you have to be careful about stuff. So Second Corinthians 6.11. And I didn't put this one in here either. Make sure this is the right one. Oh, no. Nope. Okay, here we go. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. Now, he's talking to godly people. He's talking to born-again people. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has the believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will walk in them and walk among them. I will be their God. I will be their... Wait, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Turn to 2 Corinthians 7.1. So God is calling us out. We may not be doing something as big as Abraham, but if he's calling you away from something, like I said earlier, it's because he's wanting to put something really good into your life. He's wanting to put you on a different path. And you have to to be careful. We want to show Christ to unbelievers. And we should every day. We should be an example. And we should seize every moment to reach out. But you you still have to make sure, um, I would say, you know, make sure the people you hang out with on a regular basis are your godly friends, people who are gonna put into you, and yet you can speak to and you know just keep your priorities right. Second Corinthians 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, listen to the message version. With promises like this to pull us on, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. That's really good. We want to be fit, and we want to be this holy vessel we, we want to come in here. We don't want, you know, our, the presence of God and our, our communion with God to just be on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. It's a lifestyle thing. We should be talking to God throughout our day. And when you get, when you get a break at work, don't just automatically, you know, pull up the news or automatically get on social media. Spend some time. Just spend, you know, if you can get alone, you know what I'm saying. Spend some time talking to God. Spend some time getting in his presence. And, you know, just spend some time with him. And and your week and your break will be a lot better for you. Amen? Turn to Philippians 2.13. Now, We talked a little bit about this to the youth also because I don't know if you realize um, some of the things your kids are seeing in the schools, on social media, on TV, um, they're growing up seeing things and it's being presented as normal. And that's just the devil's trick. And it causes them to see things over and over. It causes them to think about things that they're seeing that aren't godly. And I really emphasized to the teenagers, I mean, you can go down to Santa Fe High School and see homosexuals making out on the sidewalk. It's like an everyday thing. They see it every day. It's in their face. And what's weird to me is no one says anything to them, but there is a rule where you're not supposed to be affectionately doing things like that anyway. It's completely biased. But So they're seeing these things, and parents, we need to be aware that it's being so pushed as being normal. When we talked about some of these things next door, there was, it was crickets. I mean, like crickets to the point of some angry, shaking their heads, because they've grown up seeing this as normal. And just because we're even saying anything about it, they've got this view that it's hateful. And it's completely opposing to God's word. And they need to know, they need to know what God's word says about all of that. It's so important, but... When I talk to them, I also emphasize to them that, you know, you people don't just all of a sudden end up in, like, this deep sin or whatever. It doesn't really work that way. It starts somewhere. It starts with a thought. It starts with thinking about something. They're meditating on it, thinking about it, and then they start thinking, well, why am I thinking that? And that's something that the devil will jump on. Anything in the mental realm, he's going to jump on. Well, if I'm thinking, I just love cats. Well, maybe I'm a cat. Maybe it's my spirit animal. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's literally people living lifestyles thinking they're cats. And they go get plastic surgery and to do things. It's, It's so ridiculous. They don't even realize how far they've strayed from Norm- Normal. <laughs> but it, it works that way for that, or for not even knowing who they are sexually. It's not complicated, but it starts somewhere. It starts with your thought life and what you meditate on, and then you're not confident in who you are in Christ. The devil can get a foothold in these areas. And I emphasized to them, you know, I said, I told them, I said, your desires do not define you ever, 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 ever. In Philippians 2, 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he can change not only your will but he can change your will and your desires people confuse i'm so passionate about this whatever well you, didn't, you weren't born passionate about whatever you saw it then you started studying about it then you started looking at it then you got really excited it's like that for anything whether you're a golfer you know what i mean i'm not talking about you know it can be with anything you can take anything to an unhealthy unbalanced degree But it starts somewhere, but that doesn't make you who you are. And I believe there's people that think that because they have those desires and passions, they think that's their heart. And it's not. It's not their heart. And this scripture is so good. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's the good news. God can work on you if you're open and you're ready to receive what God has and you 're hungry for God and He will work in you He will help change your your desires and everything He, he will absolutely move in you. I remember I had zero desire to be in god 's presence when I was a teenager I had zero desire to be in church all of it and after I got back in fellowship with the Lord, I mean, and it's not like this for everybody, but I, my desires completely changed. For some people, it's like that. For some people, it's not. But God will absolutely work in people who have wrong desires. And, and most of the time, it's, it's not a good idea to get in some kind of debate. If you know someone's struggling with something, be a light and spend time praying for them don't don't say anything you know say if you're going to say anything about someone you know is struggling in such a deep way say what god says about them and pray for them amen so there's there's several things here just to kind of sum it up that i felt like were really important you know who you're surrounded by will affect you it's very important and being in church 3 days a week is not a ooh, sorry it's not a huge influence on your life when you spend 8 hours a day at work you know with people so when we have church come be here when we have fellowships be here we all need this even if there's somebody here that gets on your nerves it'll help you grow <laughs> seriously You'll learn to grow by it, amen? It's, hey, it is freedom to be able to go up to someone that may have gotten on your nerves and it doesn't bother you anymore. That's the kind of freedom God's wanting to put into you. It's not freedom when you're, you, you know how you talk to someone and they just can't stand someone and they just, they get so burred up every time they see them at work and they just can't take it anymore. They're in bondage, when we all have those moments, we're in bondage. God's not wanting us to have that. You know, God's wanting us to walk in love. He's wanting us to be free. And we can go up to that person and not have those feelings. And you can get to that place where you actually feel love for that person. Yeah. Amen. Amen? God can do amazing things if you'll let him, you'll trust him, and you just ask him. So the, one of the other big things I noticed here was you're not too old even at 75, um, Abram said, okay. Um, When it came time for him to talk about having a kid, they have a little bit of a different reaction. There was some laughing going on, and (laughs) I think they weren't so sure about it. But as far as the move goes for someone who's older, I mean, most people are older, you're settled, you're you're really happy with, your, with everything. And it doesn't say that he argued with God at all. But he got up and left. And the, I believe the best times of his lives were in front of him when he went. I mean, he became such a wealthy man. Everything that he left behind, God made up to him epically. So the other thing is if we want to have God's results, we have to do it God's way have to, have to. If we keep doing stuff our way, we're going to have our results. Come to the place where you're sick of it. You're just like, okay, I've done everything that I know to do, and I'm going to let God do his thing, and I'm going to do it his way. Just, just try to do it at the start. I mean, everyone's like that. Everyone. Um, But try to make a point. I'm trying to get better at that myself and just stop. Especially as I get older, you kind of have a habit of the way you handle things. And I'm learning just stop and seek the Lord. What would you have me do? No matter how small or how big, it doesn't matter what it is. I want to have God's results on that situation. Whatever it is. But I'm not going to have it if I just keep doing it my way. It it won't work. It never works that way. So do whatever it takes to separate. And, And like I said, it's a lifestyle thing. It may start as a fasting thing. That's fine. Start somewhere. You'll find after a few weeks of fasting something that you didn't even really need it that bad in the first place but turn it into a lifestyle thing. Spend the extra time getting filled up on God. Praying, praying for your family. You've got way too much more important things to be doing, honestly. Praying for your family, keeping yourself built up, praying in the Spirit. We should be praying in the Spirit so much. That's another way. You want to have God's results? You want to have the manifestations of the Spirit? In your life and in your family's life, well, there's a direct correlation from praying in the Spirit to that happening. Brother Hagin always said, the more I prayed in the Spirit, the more manifestations of the Spirit happened in my life. And the less I did, the less it happened. It's so, and I believe he knew what he was talking about. So there's, there's so many good things God has for us, but we have to do it his way. Amen?